It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello everybody, welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by you, Patterson. Hello. And joined by Josh Brown. Hello, fellas. Hello, hello. We thought we'd talk a little bit about Warner Brothers, your favourite brothers, the best brothers on the world. How are we both doing on this lovely, lovely day? Oh, you and I haven't spoken to you in a studio formal format for a while. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And no other interaction actually counts. I'm doing okay. Yeah, it exists. I'm existing in the ether and just, you know, uh, Scott, I convinced Scott to watch Ambulance the other day. And then, the and then, no, that does. but we're talking about one of those right now. And you already know who's his real brother. <laughs> in Ambulance, he's like, he's my real brother. Just if you've seen Ambulance. Uh, no, but I saw your letterboxed review of it. And it was the most... Um, it was the the, the the friendliest murder I've ever witnessed. It just killed me dead, man. I'm sorry. Like my original review for that movie was just a big apology letter to you, and then I copied it out, and I was gonna I was gonna send you it on WhatsApp, and I was like, no, I'm overthinking all of them. <laughs> you all need to watch Ambulance. I mean, does this stand you in good stead to actually check out Batman Beyond, or are my credentials ruined? Batman, oh, the, uh, no, no, Batman Beyond uh, it doesn't have Michael Bay involved. Okay, my thing with Ambulance was like I swore off Michael Bay after the third Transformers. I was just like, this is I just horrible. can't quit you. <laughs> no, it's like, I'm done with this guy. I'm just going to leave him alone. And then I gave Pain and Gain a shot because at the time, the general response was like, no, no, it's good, guys. It's, he's better again. And I've got the fond memories of Bad Boys. Like, maybe he could be good again. And so, like, I went in, I watched Pain and Gain. It was terrible. I was like, no, I'm not watching Michael Bay ever again. And then when Ambulance came around, again, the murmurs, oh, it's really good. You should probably check it out. And then, it is really good. And then someone I loved, and I should it's probably watch it. the best. It's the technically the best movie that he's ever made. I don't mean that technically is technically correct. I mean, on a technical level, this is peak Bay. Oh, those Josh, please watch it. Oh, no. The drones are amazing. This is, this, is, this is the difference, right? Scott can sit here and go, oh, these stupid drones flying about what they do. Meanwhile, I see a fleet of drones and Michael Bay blowing up all of LA. And there's a big dog in the movie for some reason. I go, yes. I wish it yes. If you combine the big dog with the Drone, our drone dog. Yeah, drone dog. Another drone. Follow the dog. Do something like that. I remember when, and we'll get to some games at some point. <laughs> no, we won't. I remember when me and you and Mr. Annie Murray went to go see that plane movie. Yeah, and you and him absolutely loved it. And I thought uh, the plane is a three-star like yeah. January dad movie. It's not like I, whereas I think Ambulance is genuine cinema. Genuinely, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, there was a bit during plane where like I realized you two were way more into it than I was, and I was like, I'm just I'm just a lot. The There's a bit at the end of the movie plane yeah. where Gerard. Butler punches a guy in the face with the plane. Oh my gear. word! So he's mean, flying, and it's like delivered like Rocky is landing the last punch of Ivan Drago, and it is brilliant. So please, please elaborate a little bit. So they're taking off, and there's the the guys that have held them hostage, and they're, they're trying to escape. And he's there on the end of the runway, and he's getting ready to like fire at, at the cockpit. Right, and Jerry Butts just has the landing gear down and just goes. <laughs> Why that is the best look ever. We'll cut him into the wheel of the plane as it took off. Like, yeah, Mortal Kombat. Yes, yeah. I'll yeah. with the plane legs. The plane. Yes. The plane is a main character in the movie Plane. Plane was breakout star of 2023. I'm not gonna watch Plane, but I might watch no. Ambulance one watch, day. I like Michael. Please, please watch Ambulance because you'll love it, and then I probably will. But yeah, but it's, 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 oh, the, the drone stuff is this paper amazing. I'm so in <laughs> Second shot, it like goes over. Oh, and that's amazing. The bit where it flies at the building and then turns. Oh, oh is he straight? the boundaries of action on the it's boundaries. It's a, it's a hell of a time. A normal podcast would have cut all of this, but now we're yeah, going to leave it all in because it deserves to be an ambulance yeah. and play. I deserve need everyone who's listening to this to go watch Ambulance and tell me 
Hashtag Ewan's right. <laughs> Honestly, I hope with sparks of sort of ambulance discourse, there's not been an amber discourse since, what, 2022 when it came out? Well, Go on. I only know ambulance from a great Patrick Williams' yes. video essay. Great video. So that's two out of three people that I trust. Did he like it? Who said it was really good, yeah. Right. Yeah, Interesting. he really liked it. Stop watching his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If, if I like it, I would have stopped watching yours. Stick to you guns. Boys, let's talk about Warner Brothers. There are a lot of things going on. Um, artist enemy number one is what I wrote them down as. Uh, closing down studios, writing off various movies for tax reasons, increasingly butchering their video game output for increased monetization. And um, I wanted to shout out the fact that Mortal Kombat 1, we hardly knew you. <laughs> it got off the ground and now it's been uh, lambasted for overcharging for skins and monetization. And we now we have a new report over on uh, Variety.com talking to various high-level Warner Brothers executives about WTF they're doing going forward. Um, there's various talking points from this. Um, notes, thankfully, written up by Mr. Josh Brown himself. Um, and we'll dissect some stuff. So one thing here um, is the idea of them pinpointing their $1 billion gaming properties, um, to which they say that's DC, Game of Thrones, Mortal Kombat, and Harry Potter. Um, there's a quote in here um, that kind of reiterates that David Zaslav's general approach, uh, Zaslav being Warner Brothers CEO. Um, that he said last year that they have this whole push into live services. Why can't everything be a live service? Why can't we monetize everything? Um, and there's a follow-up quote in this report from CFO Gunnar Win Wiederfels? I did look up his name to pronounce it properly, and then I messed it up. But it's Gunnar Wiederfels. Saying in regards to profits in the gaming space, I've double and triple checked some of the metrics here because it's such a great investment opportunity. <laughs> and he's stunned that we haven't been investing more into this opportunity. We're going to start tackling that. Um, it's worth throwing in that Shadow of War died because of this general approach. Um, and same with um, you know, Mortal Kombat 11 getting paid fatalities and the state of Mortal Kombat. What if we just did it again? What if we just kept what doing it? What if we just kept doing it? The numbers on the sheet, Scott. The numbers on the sheet. <laughs> they don't lie. It spiked before it went down. If we can just spike it over and over again. Um, but we'll keep going. There's obviously a lot more to this. But I guess general thoughts, Josh. Well, I'm not a huge businessman, right? Um, <laughs> Surprise, perhaps, who knows? <laughs> but sometimes you don't want to be seen by people who are higher than you. And if I was in any of the WB studios working on games right now and I saw that quote about an executive looking at the numbers and saying, we can't believe we haven't invested more on this, this is our next cash cow, I'd be thinking, oh no, they are going to start meddling in what we do. And by the sounds of it, that's absolutely going ahead. I mean, there's so much to pick apart from already what you've just said and the entire Variety report in general. It's definitely great. I would go recommend reading it. But straight away, when they're talking about those $4 billion IPs, I understand them all. But Game of Thrones was really surprising. I didn't even know they had a Game of Thrones game out, and they refer to a mobile title that apparently rakes in money. But I thought, really? Like, out of all of the IP that WB owns, Game of Thrones in the gaming sphere is already a billion-dollar entity, is well, it? Well, I didn't know about Game, yeah, game of Thrones Conquest. I'll, I'll throw in, uh, part of the Variety Report itself says, with the focus shifting from console and PC-based games to three- to four-year release schedules, a good example of what to expect going forward is mobile games like Game of Thrones Conquest, which takes the always-on box. And I can throw in as well, as an AEW fan over on the wrestling side, they have two mobile apps. Um, they have the AEW Fight Forever game. It's horrific. But, the, uh, but there are two mobile apps as well. So it feels like um, that idea of just get the casuals, get the mobile apps going, take that stuff over. Um, to talk about Thrones a little bit more, though, there was that Game of Thrones uh, game from, like, 2010-ish. The Telltale one, or no, something no, else? There's a, there's a uh, turn-based action one. Um, I forget the name. Maybe it's just called Game of Thrones. Very much, uh, much overlooked, but it had really good voice acting in it. I remember the presentation being really cool, but it didn't take off at all. Um, and it wasn't canon. Like, it wouldn't have been 2010 either, because it predates Game of Thrones. But still, <laughs> they've tried before, is my overall point. Um, yeah, you and what do you think of the approach here? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, again, just want to say I'm, I'm also weirded out by the Game of Thrones thing, although it feels like maybe this is us being in our diehard nerd bubble, and yeah. Game of Thrones is just one of those things that it resonated with people en masse, and therefore it is a perennial IP that they can continue to exploit. Mm -hmm. I, think, I don't know what the ratings are of House of the Dragon, and obviously, you know, the max numbers and stuff, so... Solid, yeah. yeah, no, this entire approach, it's um, it's not great. You know, you mentioned the Zaslav stuff from last year, where he was like, I've just discovered this thing called live service, and I think it's going to be pretty big for us. And it's just not going to pay off. There are so many different things in this variety report that, that Josh is happily precision guided and, and plucked to mentally torture me. Um, well, he's pal welded it. He went in with the app. <laughs> The live service thing is is the most frustrating. You know, we're, we're seeing already games that have been sort of diluted from this edict. I want to call it. You know, you know, Gotham Knights of the Year obviously was not a live service game, but there were the warts of those trends in that game in terms of its loot system, uh, and then also you know with Suicide Squad right now, as much as it's not being referred to as a live service game by Rocksteady, but instead a dynamic multiplayer 
experience, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you know, the, the the warts of that are there as well. So, yeah, no, I just find this all very frustrating because the conversations and the trajectories of the gaming industry have gone in the complete opposite direction. You know, you've gone on at length, Scott, about um, Jim Ryan's tenure, the head of PlayStation, you know, him stepping away, kind of axing a bunch of live service projects when, you know, when we had loads in The Last of Us. Uh, live service game kind of canned as well so it just feels like Warner Brothers yet again are doing that thing they do where they're about five years late to the party and are pressing aggressively ahead with stuff ignoring all the warning signs it comes to me that th this sounds like people who do not understand games and there's, oh, yeah. there's a quote about James Gunn later in this yeah. which kind of really reinforces that to me no I think that's a great point man like I think you're absolutely spot on like every move they're making now stinks of executives who are just figuring out what games are and they are like you were saying making the mistakes of in my opinion not just five years ago but 10 years ago yeah you look at look at them pinpointing um was it game of thrones conquest the mobile yeah. title that is apparently raking in money and they're saying why don't we get into mobile not realizing mobile was oversaturated 10 years ago and it's quite difficult to break into that mold and a bunch of the big publishers in the gaming space have tried and some have succeeded but it's not as easy as looking at the numbers on a graph and going well why don't we have 10 of them yeah same with live services you know yeah live services can make billions of dollars they can make the ceiling for revenue is way higher than a box single player game but how many of those die yeah wb clearly doesn't have that experience right now to kind of understand that i don't think not i'm not saying in the gaming division i'm talking about from the higher up ceo cfo positions who were overseeing movies tv shows as well as games like i just don't i don't trust that they've seen the mistakes that have been made on the ground in the gaming industry over the past 10 yeah. years and will now be destined to just repeat them and i imagine there are a bunch of veteran gaming executives within those divisions within you know your nether realms and your rock studies and whatnot going but this is demonstrably not the way to go. It's been proven over the past decade this is not the way to go. Yeah, and like I said, right now, in terms of the way that Mortal Kombat 1 has fell off, like they overpriced for the, there was a Halloween fatality, uh, various holiday fatality pack that they did that felt overpriced at the time. There's a bit of a backlash to that. Um, you know, they brought in paid fatalities in MK11. I think they were in MK10 as well, but um, MK11 got a lot more ire for it because it felt like the general approach to the way that game was structured was favoring the monetization side of it. Um, but yeah, like you said, that disconnect between the top brass um, just saying this is what we're going to be doing. In the midst of, and even as we're recording this, last night it came out that a Deus Ex game had just been cancelled. Yet another project from the Embracer deal that fell through, even though it was in development for two years. Um, that whole idea of the top level decision making affecting thousands of people underneath um, feels like right now it's the norm. And it's like decisions like this are only going to lead to more of that. We're right on the cusp of Suicide Squad launching. And maybe that'll be brilliant. Maybe that'll actually be received, you know, with open arms by the wider majority. And um, I hope it does for the sake of Rocksteady. Um, but I can't see it. And it has that like nakedly dishonest approach to the game design that I always feel comes from the top down. Like how do we put in these bankable mechanics and seven premium currencies and everything else? The problem that we've had for years and years, but it's just so obvious when you throw in the layoffs alongside it. What frustrates me about the, the sort of creative decisions that are happening right now is it's not like Warner Brothers Games Division was previously any good anyway. They made good <laughs> games, but the practices that are going to be implemented, like this push toward live services, mm. that was already happening. Like, whether it was as overt as they wanted it to be or not, like you said, you and you know, like the warts of that push towards engagement and retention over, you know, satisfying stories or, you know, high quality experiences, that was already happening. So it feels already like there's a kind of disconnect that they've made those mistakes and theoretically should be pivoting away from them. But now the higher-ups who haven't really been involved so far are coming down and saying, have you guys heard of live services? This, this is all the warts, the Discovery merger again. You've had this company come in and basically uproot the entire Warner Brothers leadership that was already dysfunctional yeah. for most of the early 2010s, you know, most famously with, with what DC was doing in terms of film and even beyond that with the way Warner Brothers Studios was working. So this definitely just feel like a case of like the new regime has come in, completely ignored everything that has happened previously and just gone, we've got this exciting new fresh idea, it's going to be great, we're going to move into all these things. So for me, as someone who, you know, it's weird to say that like you're a fan of a studio or company mm. but as someone who has got a great connection with a lot of Warner Brothers stuff it is genuinely really frustrating to see this studio this company in terms of both a film comics and gaming setup continue to struggle and kind of just 
not really have a clear direction of where it's going or what it's meant to do. And like you said, you know, it, 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 it's reflected in the design decisions that we've had recently. You know, the fact that a Damian Wayne Batman game, which is like the most Ewan Patterson branded idea of all time, <laughs> gets canned in favor of something. You know, as much as I did like Gotham Knights, and I think that is more adventurous direction to go with with that with that IP. But to go in favor with something like that, and then also Suicide Squad, sort of whatever. You know, it is just frustrating. And again, like you mentioned, like the blatantly like trend chasey approach. I've, I've gone at length before about how Suicide Squad does not feel like a game that was made with a Suicide Squad in mind from the ground up. It feels like Rocksteady were told we will or wanted to make a third person shooter game, and then we're given the Suicide Squad IP, and we can apply that mm. to their thing, even though it doesn't necessarily make sense or is conducive to a good Suicide Squad game. Just everything about this at the minute is so dysfunctional and demoralizing. It's yeah. kind of upsetting to have this cloud of negativity just all around Warner Brothers for like years now. It just needs to change. Yeah, man. I feel like the uh, the Suicide Squad game was made for a world where the Avengers was a success. Like, I feel like if you line it up, like they must have been looking. The idea of the Avengers game was incredible on paper, like the whole coming together of Crystal Dynamics, IDOS and um, Square Enix. And then that idea of, and all the, the cast for it, Nolan North and Troy Baker and um, Laura Bailey and everybody. And it's like, that just was so flat and it dies. And it's like, but the amount of time this, it took so long to um, get the Suicide Squad game over the finish line. But you can just see them doing those, you know, meetings and planning and going like, well, we're going to have to have something. What's our version of it? It's like this? gone through three different iterations though, hasn't yeah, it? Like yeah, Jeff yeah. Johns, who was previously the, the head honcho at DC, he was a writer beforehand. Uh, I think in 2010, he mentioned the existence of the Suicide Squad game. And then in 2013, we have Arkham Origins, which ends the tease of the Suicide Squad, as does Arkham Origins Blackgate. We're told that Warner Brothers Montreal were working on the Suicide Squad game for a little bit. That didn't pan out. And then Rocksteady come in and take over the project in like 2016, 2017. So it's all just kind of like, this has been going on for a long, long time oh, yeah. now. Um, and there are some of the things that you could discuss here in terms of like the overall direction of DC and how those creative reshuffles that occurred nearly 2010s are still we're still in the fallout of those today like yeah. suicide squad kill the justice league a game where the guys who made batman arkham make a game where you play as a suicide squad and kill superheroes that's really dark and edgy that feels to me like it's in the fallout of what we had with the new 52 what we had with injustice what we had with Zack snyder it feels like we're still paying for the decisions that were made like 10 years ago do it but like yeah it, they just fully commit to it like you can't do like by the looks of it obviously there's quite a lot of leaked cutscenes and everything for suicide squad i've seen bits and pieces of it like you said the tone in a lot of those scenes is very dark and macabre and whatever but then you also have the hyper day glow weak spots on the bosses and everything's popping off and look at this loot and everything else and it just doesn't feel like a cohesive product it feels like a bunch of various uh what'll work with the kids approaches to things just mesh together and hope for the best it's a, it's impossible to separate the um gaming side of this from the movie side of it and that's by design which we'll get to later on yeah. but you know it's funny to see all of these really inconsistent and in incoherent projects you know be released because i keep going back to this idea that the previous regime had no idea what they're doing but also the new regime had no, has no idea what they're doing. You know, if you watched any of the DC movies from over the past year or so, like I saw The Flash in theaters and I had a <laughs> decent enough time for the first half right. But you can honestly pinpoint the moment that Warner Brothers has come in and started to reshoot things and started to change things around for kind of needless reasons. Like who cares if Ben Affleck has more time in that movie that universe is over anyway. Reducing yeah. his screen time to five minutes isn't going to do much. Like, cutting out certain cameos and replacing them with others, it's not going to make more sense because you're canning most of that stuff off anyway. Just that constant meddling. And if you look into similar reports to this Variety um, write-up, looking into, like, the production of those movies and how many times they were reshot, how many times they were tested to ultimately still get a crap product. It's kind of like, you know, back under the previous regime with Justice League. You know, they had a product and they brought in someone to save it and it was just as bad, if not worse. Probably definitely worse because it, you just felt like an incoherent thing that wasn't made for artistry that had all of these warring voices um, inside it and ultimately no one resonated with that because why would you it's just you know superheroes with a mishmash of palettes and that's kind of bled into the gaming world i think and i hope it doesn't bleed in to it more uh -huh. ironically it is the power world approach it's like the <laughs> only thing that actually worked in that regard um, not that necessarily it should be a template for anything else. Um, it is worth throwing in, though, like you said, that there are mentions in this report of um, that approach to creating various franchises or unifying franchises. 
And um, Warner Brothers do say that the overall approach uh, won't happen very soon, but they do want to implement games onto uh, their streaming service Max as well and have a mix of TV, movies, and games all together. Uh, the idea of creating a synergy between something like James Gunn's ongoing DCU universe uh, and the games. Let's talk about that stuff, like the idea of unifying everything. I don't like that this... stuff at all. It's so creatively limiting. And again, not to interrupt, but you've mentioned before about this is the same, them pivoting heavily into streaming right now. I don't know if you'll agree with me, Josh. Is the exact same backwards years late thinking as to the push for mobile or the push for live service because over the past few years we've learned that streaming is very volatile we know that the the, the numbers are guarded for a reason mm -hmm. you know it, it, for me this is a case of just we're gonna like the, the the article at the start mentions david zaslav navigating warner brothers through the streaming wars i'm like You've made the decision. You literally had two years ago when you were releasing all your movies day and date on HBO Max and taking a massive box office loss on it. Every single analytical report that's come out of the last years is that studios that pivoted heavily into streaming made a massive loss yeah. on their movies because they would have made more from box office, you know, Pixar, when those movies were going to Disney Plus, more people were staying at home because even when they were in cinemas, they knew that it was going to be coming on streaming immediately. Yeah. So all you're doing by putting stuff on streaming is devaluing your own product. Um, and this is something that should be nakedly apparent to them. And if you do that with games too, you're not making a more attractive product. You're making yeah. something that is less urgent, less required, less essential. I think it's 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 funny to see them talk about it because I think any executive at the level that we're talking about now, it's, I've, I've slagged them off a lot this podcast so These far. These you know, are done by executives. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll have some slack. Oh, no, they've got the Animaniacs locked out of the tower. Man. <laughs> but to get it. you see them... If, if this could be the best idea in the world, right? In, on th in theory, you know, merging all of these different aspects of the business together. But as soon as they open their mouths and start like talking about buzzwords and retention and churn rate and all of those that that corpus content, es essentially <laughs> content. Yeah, you just lose faith in it, or at least I do. You know, when they're talking about you mentioned that you and like it's not going to make for like a quality product. It's not going to make for something that's essential. I don't even think that's what they're after. Like when you look at the quotes from these. I, uh, and analysts who are working with these big studios, it's not about making good stuff. It's not about quality. It's about retention. It's yeah. about engagement. As long as you're there on their streaming service and you're engaging with something for a long time, to them, that's a win. And it's hilarious that they've pinpointed games as a medium that's inherently longer in many ways than movies or TV show that to shows that in their current form require more engagement and you returning to them over and over again, that's their solution. It's not to make higher quality things that people are happy to pay for and check out. It's how do we essentially turn this streaming service into a video game grind? How do we get people back and not canceling their subscriptions? Really their answer is... Hundred hour games, but also like the from the from the top from the uh, ground up, the whole idea, I mean, the whole thing when this first came out, I think it was James Gunn that talked about it initially. The idea that going forward in the new shared universe, they would have characters that would go between TV, movies, and games, um, and they would try and share voice actors and things like that. There was initially there was obviously a backlash to that, being like, "There's no way that's going to work," like in regards to the reality of putting those projects together. But like I said, the that side of it is the thing that I'm, I guess, like you know, as concerned about as anything else. The idea of trying to create something that the movie goes on the streaming service, the TV shows there. Oh, and then you can play the game and it's right alongside. You can see why a, a corporate mentality would say, well, that makes total perfect sense and we can yeah. monetize the game. But James Gunn's a gamer, mate. It says so in the article. There is a little quote. I want to throw in the thing about churn rates because they talk about churn rates. Um, churn rates is just their term for um, the percentage, the likelihood of someone giving up on a given service. Um, <laughs> just referring to them in that way, though, uh, of churning through your, uh, your customer base. Um, so we have a few things about churn rates. Uh, analyst Kevin Westcott uh, says, if you look at the companies that have large streaming platforms, they're dealing with three plus percent per month churn on their subscribers. Westcott also says uh, live games, the ones that the gaming industry is now talking about, have a very, very small churn rate as compared to streaming. So you're seeing more and more of the streaming players saying, why don't we add games as part of my entertainment offering? No one's asking that. <laughs> no one's ever said that. Can I just get a game on my net? No one wanted that. No one plays Netflix games. <laughs> no, no, they don't, they don't do it. Um, <laughs> why don't they add games as part of my entertainment offering? Games have a lower churn rate. Music has a lower churn rate. And I've been recommending to our clients that they should think about offering a whole slew of other types of digital entertainment. And, and also, in, I guess it's in regards to the whole thing, you've got JB Perez, who's the CEO of streaming and gaming, saying, frankly, there hasn't been as close a relationship between the studio and the games business as there should have been. And James uh, James Gunn is actually a gamer. So having someone who's passionate about it is super helpful. You know what would be better? If they were all gamers. <laughs> what hell it was. Instead of just one guy. Um, adding that Warner Brothers games, um, you know, they say, or she says, 
that um, they're actively working with uh, Gunn and Peter Saffron on the core franchises within the DC universe. Oh, I want them to run that. As much as they want to do this unified front thing, um, they say that while you know they might be working on a Superman title right now, they're not necessarily going to launch a Superman game just because they feel obligated. To me, though, that's the mistake. Yeah. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna do the unified front thing, there's something to capitalize on in regards to the way that franchise games used to come out. Like we grew up with them. A lot of them were bad, but some of them were great. Toy Story Two, effing rules. Toy Story Three is pretty good too. There's a way to do that with a reduced budget and get those things out there. Um, you're either going to commit to this unified thing and create stuff that works across multiple mediums, or you're just, just you don't know what you're doing with this. I was going to quickly, yeah, there's just uh, a lot. There's yeah. a big chunky <laughs> part of the right up this, but um, I, I joked to you guys yesterday when I first read it that you know I'm not as smart as James Gunn. I don't have as good hand as James Gunn. I didn't write Scooby Doo. I certainly didn't write Donald the Dead. I wish I bloody didn't. Only Pop Chainsaw either. Didn't write Only Pop Chainsaw. But, you know, um, when it comes to his position as overseeing everything DC-related, DC not just movies, not just games, not just TV shows, but, like, this entire multimedia universe, I don't know how that's possible. I can't do more than one podcast in a day without forgetting where I am, you know? <laughs> if I was juggling, juggling all those properties, even if he's not hands-on with everything, even if he's not, like, obviously not directing everything, he's signing off on all that stuff, he's having the final say, I don't know why they're putting him in that position because they're putting him in there to fail. You look at the MCU and what's happening with Kevin Feige right now um, reportedly being stretched too thin across all of the content that they're pushing out. Four movies a year. Like butter over too much bread. Yeah, butter (laughs) over too much bread. And we've seen firsthand even though they've still produced some good things the quality kind of drop across the board because one person or even two people like it can't be in charge of that much much stuff. On a human level Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No doubt it'll burn them out eventually. It'll get sick and resentful of the entire thing. If I was doing that, I certainly would. Well, I think he would because the amount of times he's like replying to people on Twitter with just random, just nonsense. Like, James, just go make your movies. Like, you don't need to be replying to like DC fan 258 on Twitter being like, I'm actually no, uh, the spot isn't going to be. Like, it's just yeah. it, it, that level of granularity is, is bizarre to me. The thing that frustrates me the most about gun getting involved in the video game side of things is that that's so creatively obliterating if you have to be beholden to his vision of dc that to me just reinforces how no one has a clue why dc was special for so long it's the myriad different interpretations that you have going on with those projects if this edict was down when 
say like when Christopher Nolan was making the, the the Batman movies, if this if this thing was the thing that Broxley had to be beholden to, we wouldn't have gotten the Arkham series. We wouldn't have had that creatively unique, you know, Beta's adjacent kind of video game uh, series. It would have been well. Now you're going to have to just be beholden to the aesthetics of Nolan's world, which is so stifling. And I find it truly bizarre that they're doing this here. With, with the reason that, that it frustrates me is that I feel like they've looked across at at Star Wars in particular because not Marvel because. Marvel games have the foresight to not tether everything to the MCU. You can say Marvel's Avengers leaned into it slightly in terms of we're going to lead into those comparisons. We'll use the lineup of the 2012 movie, we'll ape some aesthetics or whatever, but it was still its own thing. With Star Wars, the reason why it works with having everything in that shared interconnected canon is because it is George... It has always been one man's vision. Yeah. It's always... As much as there have been different creatives involved, it all stems from George Lucas's mythos. There is a canon that contradicts itself or whatever, but if you want to live in Star Wars, At least you, are li you are living in Star Wars. With DC, you've had this thing that's been evolving for many, many years, and I think it's just... It, it depresses me that... that the, the the best they can offer for this new era of DC games is, well, we're just going to make it like the movies because we need to, you know, we need to catch up with Marvel. We need to do this. And if we get this, we'll make it more. And I think it goes back to that point you were making, but they don't care about making the product. They yeah. care about having your eyeballs in it. If we can make the video games as essential to your understanding yeah. of the on-screen universe, then that means more eyeballs on it. And it's the same reason why people, and again, there have been good Star Wars books, but it's the same reason why canon Star Wars books sell. Mm -hmm. It's because, oh, we need to know more about this mythos that, that matters. I need to watch this TV show because I need to know what matters. I need to know what is impactful in this thing. Mm -hmm. And that is what is frustrating to me. I just see it so blazingly, like, cynical approach to do. To just, we're going to make, everyone's going to be so jazzed about James Gunn's new DC universe. So we're going to make the games part of it. It's going to be huge. I, 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 it, apart from it being practically impossible, <laughs> on a just ethical and, 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 like, creative level, it really, really upsets I me. I think there's a, oh, sorry. I was going to say, see it super quickly. There's a, I think there's a really telling line at the very start of this article where they're talking about Game of Thrones Conquest and they describe it not only as a moneymaker, but, a, and I think this is a direct quote, a way to remind people of the TV show. And I think that's exactly what they're trying to do Like with these direct tie-ins. It's not just about the game. It's not about making anything good. It's not even necessarily about shifting copies. It's about keeping your brain thinking about these franchises so you buy the game, you go to the movies, mm. you buy the merch, you watch the TV show, you're in that world. That's the monologue about the retention. That's the monologue from the opening of The Killer. The thing is, like, I feel we're already in the middle of it, but the, the big paradigm shift at the minute is that switch between, or is that um, ability for various companies to bring in different mediums. Like, you did get the Mario movie, you were getting a Zelda movie, you have PlayStation Studios or uh, PlayStation Productions, whatever the hell they new studios called doing the Grand Turismo movie, the Uncharted movie, the God of War TV series, and uh, the Horizon TV series. And uh, this is the new thing. I feel like um, for the most part, like obviously with Sony and Nintendo, they only remind you of the games because the games have the quality that came first. Like in this regard, that whole plan is like trying to bake the quality in from the beginning and assuming you'll care to a certain level that you only get from leading with quality first. You can monetize quality. You can go down that whole route of franchising things if you get the right foot forward. Um, which obviously one of the biggest mistakes with the original DCEU was trying to reverse the Avengers, like leading with the um, the idea that everyone already cares massively and then we can do these spin-off movies and everything uh, as opposed to building up over time. But um, yeah, I feel like the crux of the whole thing um, is that general lean into let's monetize the hell out of video game IP, um, which is a conversation that's happening in many different spheres as superhero movies start to die off. Like what's the next medium we can get into and start adapting stuff, which is what you're seeing in the, the Sony stuff and Nintendo stuff. And Xbox not got much to do. <laughs> hey, I guess there's another one. Hey, if you'll permit me before we move on, yeah. just to go back to like the logistics of the production, I'm just thinking of like the worst case scenario, right? Because there is a world where Peter Safran and James Gunn's DCU gets off to a cracking start. They have the law down. Every production goes smoothly. There's no changes. There's no reshoots. But history indicates otherwise. I know it's been a tumultuous transitionary period for the entire company and their slate of movies, but think if you're a video game studio working on these canon games that are, in some ways, if not directly tying into the movies, referring to them, working off their story beats. Say we don't get an ideal rollout for the movies and we are getting films that are reshooting and replacing characters right up to the wire, which, for as successful as they are, is the Marvel method, right? Like, how much did Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness change, for instance, when it swapped, um, uh, release schedule? Yeah, well, I mean, when it swapped directors, but 
even when it just swapped release dates with Spider-Man because those movies were so intertwined. Like, imagine if they were making a Flash game previously, and again, I know this is worst-case scenario, but then suddenly, are you are we including Michael Keaton? Are we including Ben Affleck? Are we including George Clooney? Like, yeah. what's going on? All those decisions in these big blockbuster universes go right down to the wire. Video game development is already hard. I couldn't imagine having to deal with a movie studio and keeping on top of that stuff and being as reactive as you need to be. Movies are just about getting away with it, and even then, they're not really. And games are even harder to do. The reason why it works for Star Wars is because if you look at Jedi Fallen Order, yeah, it's set in and around the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, but you play a nobody. You play no no average person on the street knows who Cal Kestis is. Um, That is the reason why Star Wars games can work, is because you can play a person in that canon and do your own thing. If you are going to take the same approach with DC, and like you say, it's completely tethered to the film, so you can't necessarily say, oh, I'm going to play as Green Lantern in this game because it's like, oh, he's already in this TV show. Maybe you play as a different group. I don't know. It just it does not make sense to me. Yeah. And the fact that they are they are this far aligned in this train of thought to publicly announce it and actually yeah. maybe move forward with it, that is a huge alarm bell because, it, again, it just it, it re- reiterates that they don't know what they're doing. And also, one of those ones sure all have a DC game in development. Yeah. They've had a DC, another DC game in development for the past five years now. What the hell happens to that if we're, we're going with this new canon music? Like, well, that, that, that's, that's ridiculous. That's something I haven't thought about, you know. I was just talking about, wow, I'm getting very angry. Rick Shoudiel is my watch so far. I've watched no. Didn't, didn't expect to be so incensed, but, you know, we were just talking there about, like, the movies and how they were kind of dumped out and mm. kind of tried to be salvaged, but not really. Yeah, what does that even mean for a Suicide Squad? Say that game is great. How could, is that like an Elseworlds title going forward? Will they be able to keep that franchise alive? Or would they put Rocksteady on something that is more directly related to James Gunn's canon? Like, how will that well, work? Do, are they even pushing this as something that is going to be long-term? Or is it just similar to The Flash, get this out the door until we can start our own new thing? Well, their message, that's the thing. That's what I'm the most concerned about is ultimately what we get to interact with when it finally releases. Because like the, they, their messaging around like the end of the DCEU and then now we're doing the DCU or the Gunverse or whatever the hell it is, and all that stuff with Aquaman 2 or whatever the, the Lost Kingdom yeah Lost Kingdom and the final scene of that just felt like they just gave up he just did like a weird Iron Man reference and it just ends and everything else like the messaging around that was so lackluster there's a potential like you're trying to give them the, the benefit of a doubt which like I said I think it's inhuman to give uh, one person that much control they, it, there's only so many emails you can respond to so many set visits you can do so many scripts you can write so many things you can check over it is impossible there's no way that James Gunn can pull all this stuff together Best case scenario is that somehow he has some sort of, they would call it a brand Bible for each individual character, each individual franchise, and you lay all of that out. Everyone has a shared Google Doc, and they check in on it, and everything is right there, and you're going to do so many plot points because they're signed off, and you somehow unify the production schedules of movies and video games, at least in regards to the widest strokes of what those visions are going to be. And I imagine, again, that's a pretty corporate way of thinking about it because they can just they can say that in a boardroom meeting, and everyone goes, well, that makes total sense, that'll, that'll be completely fine. And then, um, like, but like you said, the reality of video game development, if someone gets recast or for whatever reason or some part of the movie thing falls apart, it takes months to sort that stuff on the gaming side, if not years, depending on how integral they were to a certain scene or gameplay mechanic or whatever it is. And that's where the impossibility stuff comes in. Before you even get to the idea of how creatively <laughs> stifling it is to not be able to do different games because everything has to talk to everything else, everything has to be consistent in regards to the characters and everything else, you need a unified front on the writing side, um, which no writer wants to... Like, what do you with someone that you're in a different country or a different state or whatever it is and make sure you're writing towards the same goal? That's not why people get into it. It's not going to be an awesome can't You can't secure those actors down either because if you're tethering it to the movie, it's going to aim for the same aesthetic, which I'm imagining is going to be like movie realistic. Mm. Mocap, you need actors in studios with, with balls on their face the entire time. <laughs> they're not going to be down for that. No. And then they're not going to be able to like record stuff for ages either. So, yeah, no, it's just. It, I can't believe that we're actually talking about this. <laughs> like, how is this not like just gone? Ah, oh, it's a silly thought. Actually, let's just let them continue to do their own thing. <laughs> well, it's because you know, like I said, I feel like it's been so brazenly, nakedly honest. These attempts at um, monetizing various fandoms and trying to do the the top down approach, the the boardroom approach, and we've seen the bodies that come from it. The likes of the Shadow of War, uh, the you know, Mortal Kombat's um, reputation over time, and the amount of layoffs that happen when these deals don't um, pan out. Um, I did want to throw in, obviously, part of the report is talking about that idea of mining video games overall as one part of this, um, as something to um, adapt and dive into the video game IP as the next medium to mine in general. Um, and Variety's report says, um, in uh, WB's 2024 predictions, um, actually, sorry, no, in the 2024 predictions report from art, um, analyst company Deloitte? Yeah, I was Deloitte. Sure. Yeah, Deloitte. Yeah. Uh, drew a strong correlation between the success of films and TV shows and the offerings of video games based on the same IP, noting that, the, that several of the top 50 grossing films for 2023 have corresponding hit games. 
The analysts estimate that the share of theatrical box office revenues from video game IP will double by 2025, and uh, that most of the top streamers will be home to shows based on games at that point, following the massive success of HBO's The Last of Us. Um, which is the thing that I mentioned before. Like, I feel like your PlayStation are leading with that double-pronged approach at the minute. So was, was that games... Movies that have games are more successful, or was it games that have been movies were more successful? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Their takeaway is like um, some of a lot of the movies that ended up in the in the box office for 2023 had corresponding hit games, but that's what I said. Okay, about quality coming first. Mm. Like you can't lead with this whole thing with nothing to actually base it on. I can at least see where they, where they're coming from with yeah. this. I can imagine again. You know, I still like superhero movies. I still like you know, things we, that uh, are popular right now. But you can, I imagine, suits in a boardroom looking at the decline of the box office revenue for not only their studios' biggest hitters, but you know their competitors as well. And they're looking at the likes of. The Mario movie making a billion dollars, the Sonic movies doing pretty good business, and then looking at TV like The Last of Us getting mad viewership and a bunch of Emmy awards, you know, and pivoting to games as the next big uh, source of revenue for right for adaptation. I can see why they would be going down that route, and I do think it makes sense. But is it, again, is it for the right reasons? Like, what are they trying to get out of this? Is it just, again, a way to mine IP? And I think it's really fascinating, because when they refer to their $1 billion gaming IPs that they currently have, only one of those is actually an original from the gaming world, Mortal Kombat. Everything else originated from something else. It's already an adaptation. So True. if you're going all in on, a, you know, adapting your biggest movie and TV franchises into games, how can you then look towards movies and say, oh, but the future of movies is to adapt the video games we own because you are moving away from those things. <laughs> like licensing deals to do to add up to the video games and then keep that. I mean, the, the whole canon conversation is obviously way more of a DCEU gunverse thing. Um, but their overall business mandate seems to be unifying mediums under one creative vision or whatever it is. Um, but it's just a part of this, yeah, part of this report is that idea of what can we mine from the gaming space, which is a wider conversation, like I said before, on um, what do various Hollywood studios look to now that the comic book um, medium has been drained? Like, we need to rest that for a bit. We can start mining video games. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm, I'm still just baffling in this headspace of, like, I'm just remembering that one of those have gone all in with James Gunn's DC mythos, right? It's pretty much every superhero movie the last two years has become like a partial oh, box office the, the disappointment. The modern world, they're done. Uh, yeah, it's just, I, I find this all baffling. And, and Warner Brothers themselves, you know, they don't have any video game IP to adapt. So yeah. it's like you're going to be licensing <laughs> other stuff from other people and feeding into... This is all just really stupid. Business is stupid. And I, I hate that we're at this point now where this is just... Oh man, no, it's, it's just good. It's just really upsetting. Like, I feel like it's mad that we were in 2024 right now. We're talking about like something that had so much premise and potential. And we're reducing it to just eyeball time, viewer attention yeah. time. That's not to say that business yeah. decisions were never an impact before because they always have been. And stuff that is good can come from nakedly business focused approaches. That's why Joel Silver, you know, all his movies kind of went so hard. Like, even though they were nakedly about, we're going to appeal to demographics mm -hmm. and, like, you know, whatever. Like, Jerry Bruckheimer as well. I'm here for a good Jerry Bruckheimer time. Mm -hmm. But all this, it's so algorithmically analytical and, like, Obviously, the psychology has been behind it as well. It just feels like I'm, they're trying to get in my brain. <laughs> they're trying to get in my brain and steer me into going, five for Creature Commandos, please. Yes. I'll, I'll take the Creature Commandos spin-off game developed by Warner Bros. Montreal that used to be, I don't know, a Catwoman game. I just, it, it, it's just, it's so bad. All we want to do is get your skull, open it up, and turn down the lever on your churn rate percentage in that in that head of yours, and then stitch it back just, up in there. Just invent the box from Batman Forever. That is the only alternative. We want the, we want the I want the box from Batman Forever now. <laughs> get Elon Musk's neural implants yeah. involved and then he can break it, get part of it as well. <sighs> the final part of the report um, just mentions that their general approach going forward and with regards to the studios that they're going to be using is uh, in-house versus outsourcing, which Josh, you wrote down, is pretty much the opposite of Disney's approach so far. Yeah. Um, and the, But that's that's the thing. The idea of, you know, Warner Brothers own the various studios that would make these games and would produce the TV, the movies, um, versus Disney does uh, licensing. They license their IP to the likes of Sony, Ubisoft, EA, etc. Um, but that made me think, it's like, well, either you get this, uh, from the Warner Brothers side, you get this idea of potential quality control because it's in-house, they can check all the boxes. James Gunn's right on the loft. He's going to check everything out. Don't worry about it. 
or they can directly manipulate everything. And it's way easier to um, get all these um, various monetization practices or potentially whatever people don't want to see into the product until they're finally in front of people. And then things blow up where it's like, hey, by the way, this, you know, this game has... Just, just to reiterate the whiplash of all this as well. They were talking about selling one of those games last year. Yeah, they were. <laughs> Wait, the, what is going on? It's because that guy looked and hit the numbers and thought, I can't believe it. What an investment opportunity. Dude, we need to start meddling. Guys... You want to take a look at this? <laughs> uh, yeah, the general approach in, in that regard, uh, I have, at some point for me, it's a question of trust. Like, do you trust yeah. to pull it off? It's a, a question of belief in regards to whether you think there's someone like James Gunn can pull it off. I don't think, it, like I said before, I don't think a single individual can do that much. I think they've seen the Kevin Feige thing and then they've corporatized it and they haven't acknowledged the reality of how Kevin Feige became Kevin Feige as we talk about him now. Um, and then they've just given uh, James Gunn the amount of responsibilities that Kevin Feige has now, which is the state of mind, the state of him that is burning him the hell out. Um, and I don't think that's going to work. But I think I said, I think it's a, a question of, do you trust Warner Brothers to do right by these properties and the fans? No, in my regard. Um, you know, and do you believe they can pull it off? No. The other interesting thing here is that going into Suicide Squad right now, which again, we don't know how that game is going to be received. Be there is, you know, it could genuinely be like another, another hit for Rocksteady or whatever. I feel like one of the interesting things about this is that when they've done their calculations on their assets, on their, you know, mm. video game assets, like the 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 Rocksteady's and WB Games Montreal's and the Monolith Studios that they have in there, those studios have made great games. But one thing that I don't think the industry is reckoning with at the minute is the, especially in regards to all the layoffs that have been occurring recently, is how fluid the actual personnel of these studios are and studio identity. Totally. You wouldn't look at Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, and even though there are, you can say that, you know, Rocksteady's attention to detail is still there, that the presentation looks immaculate in terms of that, but you wouldn't look at it on the surface and go, that is a game made by Rocksteady, I don't think. And it's the same with, like, when they're talking about these assets and the, the, the fact that everything is kind of moving around, is the Rocksteady of today still going to be as valuable post-Suicide Squad? Is the Warner Bros. Games Montreal still going to be as valuable post-Gotham Knights? Or with a game that it might also get cancelled if you move in this whole canon thing down? Mm -hmm. Same with Monolith, who haven't had a game come out since Shadow of War. The next so, anyway. And it's it's all just interesting. They've got these, like, we've got these studios that have these resources behind them. But are they understanding of like the 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 qualitative nature of that and how that affects the oh, like, digital get it on the service? Yeah, give the people something per month. I think you know, people in the people in the movie fans. What a strange way to use that phrase. <laughs> uh, movie fans, I think, are, I would argue, less discerning about where a movie or a franchise they like comes from. Like, I don't think anyone's going to a Warner Brothers movie because it's a Warner Brothers movie in the same way that people go to a Rocksteady game because it's a Rocksteady game. Those studios have way more um, respect and clout in the gaming world mm. where you might buy a new IP from them because you trust the team or you trust the studio, you like the work they've done before. And I think we are getting into an era where these studios now are losing that identity that you mentioned and are having and are becoming the franchise studio, whatever that is, the Wonder Woman studio, the um, DC studio, the, the Harry Potter studio, the whatever, and are, are losing that kind of core identity. It always makes me ask the question of, is this the game you wanted to make? Obviously, you know, not every studio gets carte blanche creative freedom and says, I want to make this, but more often than not, I think the good publishers pinpoint what a studio wants to make and tries to, you know, funnel them down that route. I think just look at the difference between Marvel's Spider-Man and Marvel's The Avengers. To me, oh, yeah. that's night and day between a studio that's, that was passionate about a project and a studio that was handed a contract for a project. You yeah, know, like, sure. there's that story about Marvel going to Insomniac and literally saying, which superhero would you like? Would you like to do any of them? And they jumped at the chance to make Spider-Man. And then they got the team in uh, that they needed to be creatively passionate about that um, character. And it comes through in both of the games, all three of the games, actually, so far. Whereas the Avengers, you have this Square Enix product. And I'm not saying that everyone who worked on that game wasn't passionate about it. I'm sure there were, but it has the feel of we've been handed this. It's it's not really a genre that studio is even known for. It's not a style of game necessarily. It's not, um, you know, certainly they don't have 
superhero credentials as far as I'm aware. And you can kind of tell in the characterization, the presentation, there are high points of that story, especially with Miss Marvel, but a lot of it lacked the soul that you would want. And it just makes me question that. Are the people in charge wanting to even make these games or are they just being put to work on franchises? I know you guys had a much better response to Indiana Jones than I did, mm. but even that got me asking the question, like, did Machine Games want to make an Indiana Jones game? Oh, or did Todd did. Howard want to make an Indiana Jones <laughs> game and say, we've got a studio that can pull that off? I don't know. They didn't make an effort with the title. No. That's the only thing I can say. The Great Circle is lame. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Whoever thought that the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The Great Circle is silly. Yeah, it's, uh, that's the kind of the thing with, that I meant about the do you trust them to pull it off. I think this, that's the thing. It affects everybody at every level. And if you look at the layoff side of things, like the, when you know these bets don't pay off, it's only the people who have put the three, four, five, eight years of their lives into the project. Um, that are the most directly affected by it and uh, in the likes of the Suicide Squad game and um, to bring it all full circle we'll see how that pans out because like you said chances are it's not even part of this wider vision anyway and how how solid is that vision anyway I love the stories when a team is working on a license and they have to almost fight for what they want but they get it you know I remember when Respawn was first wanting to make a Star Wars game mm. and they said we want to make a Jedi game and Lucasfilm <laughs> was like I'm not sure we want to let you do that. And then they pitched it and then it they loved it and it worked and you can sense the passion in that title, you know. Um, spoilers for Spider-Man 2018 right now, <laughs> but there was also a story about that, to keep it still vague because you know, I don't want you to uh, come after me. Um, <laughs> about them pitching the ending of that game and especially what happens with Doc Ock and Aunt May and you know initially Marvel was apparently like no you can't do that <laughs> and then they pitched it again they completely won them over and they were allowed to change it that those stories to me indicate a team that you know wants to kind of push boundaries wants to take those creative decisions mm. that I Fear will be stifled when you fundamentally couldn't do it. Yeah, you'd have exactly. To the other mediums on board. Exactly. exactly. Feel yeah. like fundamentally, even without that input for the Rocksteady's DC stuff, post Paul Dini leaving with Arkham City, and you get Arkham Knight, which I feel, as much as that game technically plays brilliantly, that beholds to every single Batman cliche in the book in terms of. You know, Bruce Wade is the mask, Batman who is who he is deep down, and with Suicide Squad, to me, it's just a diverging thing with DC where there is an identity of DC that has been built up over the last 10 years, which is fearful of taking creative risks like that. Mm. And you could say that Killing the Justice League is a creative risk, but we've had evil Superman stories out the wazoo over the last 12 years. I look at Suicide Squad, I see, well, you tried to make Suicide Squad a thing since 2011. You know, yeah. and, you know, and people, there clearly is a demand for Suicide Squad. Those movies made money. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's a case of you have made a game that is, I, I don't know, like, I don't want to be questioning motivations or whatever. And from every single interview and like post I've seen from Rockstar developers, I mean, like, this is the game that we wanted yeah. to make, yeah, yeah. which is fair enough. Um, but it's, you know, was it was Suicide Squad the game that you wanted to make or have you made the game you wanted to make within the Suicide exactly Squad that. premise? That's the question that I have to ask because, mm -hmm. again, I just feel like we've got such a boxed view of that mythos currently mm -hmm. and that is also holding things back. So when you add in James Gunn on top of that, he may have a better understanding of what DC is meant to be potentially, but you're still going to be working within that tiny sandbox. It just It's, it's very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> we'd love to see... How all this stuff shakes out. But like now, oh, go on. I was going to say, hilariously, yeah. I am looking forward to Suicide Squad. Isn't that funny? I, I kind of want to, oh, yeah. I keep mentioning this. I want to see the story. I'm just going to watch it on YouTube, mate. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need it in my life. Um, but yeah, this for now has but the words what culture gaming podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's your person. My brain's on the box. It's pretty much left this room. That's also Josh Brown. I'm going to watch Ambulance after this, I think. Someone should. Catch <laughs> you all very soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.